Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. They had their will done. God knew the end of it, and so he allowed it to run its course. And there's nothing worse than when God allows you to get your will done. When you want something so bad, and he says, you really want it that bad, you really want it that bad, you know what, I'm going to let you taste it. And God doesn't do that because he wants to see us in pain. He doesn't do it because he's got some kind of sickness. No, God allows it sometimes so that we can learn something from it, so we can see the, the end of it. And it just proves again that His ways are not our ways. And His ways are far better than our ways. We choose, we'll choose the fourth or fifth thing, and God wants to give us the very best. But we'll settle for fifth best because I can have it now. God allows us to make mistakes. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob continues our study in the final part of chapter 17 of the book of Deuteronomy. Last time, we learned about the prophetic word of God and his rules regarding a human king appointed over the nation of Israel. Today, we learned that this became very problematic for them in the future. This is a good example for us today. As Christians, God will allow us to make mistakes and wrong decisions to teach us that His way is the best way. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. He says, You shall surely set a king over you, whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren, who, brethren, you shall set as king over you, sorry, and you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And you know, God gave them what they wanted. And like I said before, you know, at least in our country, and in most parts of the world, whenever people choose or they think of a leader, they think of stature and wealth and physical appearance. They think of their education, their lineage, or their pedigree. But these things don't necessarily make a king, do they? You know, there have been American presidents, you know, that were elected. They went to the Ivy League schools. They had all the right degrees. They were able to speak very well in public. But they plunged our country into darkness. And they, they, they passed policies that were very anti-Christ. But we notice here, you know, when God, in the, in the verse there, you shall set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses from among your brethren. And they chose Saul, who was a Bethlehem, or, or he was from uh, Benjamin. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, excuse me. And we're going to look at some some scriptures here, because the king of Judah would never have come from Benjamin. And you can just see how the Lord allowed them to have their choice. Because as they thought about a king, and they saw Saul, or Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul, I get those confused because they sound similar. So bear with me if I mess it up again. Um, So Saul was exactly what they wanted. 
There's our leader. He's tall and handsome. And yet God knew exactly what Saul was all about. And they wanted this tall and handsome king, and they chose according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit of God. And why do I say that? Because in Genesis, now you might just want to, I'm going to um, say some verses here, write the reference down, and I'll just read them to you for the sake of time. When we look in Genesis chapter 49, remember when Jacob was on his deathbed, he gave a, basically his last farewell address to his 12 sons. And what did he say? He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter, the one who's going to be king, he is not going to depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, which is a reference to Jesus Christ. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So we see that from Judah is going to be the king of Israel. It's been prophesied a long time ago, even to the, from this moment that we're speaking of. And in Psalm chapter 60, verse 7, Psalm 60, verse 7, it says, Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Speaking of the authority, the, the kingship is going to be from Judah. In the Old Testament book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, speaking of the coming Messiah, where he would come from. He says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from, of, from everlasting. So this speaks of deity, doesn't it? So now the plot thickens even, even more. So what is this Benjamite doing as a king when all the prophecies here are telling us that he's going to come from Judah? Well, They had their will done. God knew the end of it, and so he allowed it to run its course. And there's nothing worse than when God allows you to get your will done. When you want something so bad, and he says, you really want it that bad, you really want it that bad, you know what, I'm going to let you taste it. And God doesn't do that because he wants to see us in pain. He doesn't do it because he's got some kind of sickness. No, God allows it sometimes so that we can learn something from it, so we can see the, the end of it. And it just proves again that his ways are not our ways. And his ways are far better than our ways. We choose, we'll choose the fourth or fifth thing, and God wants to give us the very best. But we'll settle for fifth best because I can have it now. And God says, okay, you want that shabby thing? (laughs) You can have it. I wanted to give you the very best. No, we will have a king to rule over us. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, it says this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Notice, now we're getting David's father, David's lineage into it, because we know that Jesus, if you're looking up here on the timeline, you know, from Judah, there is ultimately going to come Jesse, who was the dad or the father of David. And then through David's line, ultimately would come through, would come Jesus Christ from the line of Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah, right? And so notice, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the sevenfold spirit of God upon this person. Who could it be? It's Jesus. And his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. 
Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And so we see again the line of the tribe of Judah. The king would come through Judah. And finally in John chapter 7, verse 42, it says, Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? And so we know that David, as well as Jesus, was born in the same town of Judah, in Bethlehem. In Luke chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. So here he is in the northern part of Israel, in Nazareth, and he comes up out of that, and he goes into Judah, because Judah's higher in elevation. Wherever you go to Judah and to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem in that area, wherever it is that you're going, you're going up, because it's on a, it's on a, it's on a very, the elevation is quite large there. So out of, Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, the house of bread, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And finally, again, in the same chapter, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, notice what the angels who were out in the fields, what they said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so, you know, as we look through those scriptures, we see the prophecy of not only David coming, but more importantly than David, the son of David, David's Lord, Jesus Christ. And so what are we doing here now with this king who's from Benjamin? It just doesn't make sense. Well, God knew it was going to be temporary. You would think that they would have put two, two together, even just looking at the Old Testament, just the first five books of Moses. You know, there's plenty in, the, in just those five books that speak of Jesus. And we read from, from, from a couple of them, from, and those aren't all of them. Those are just a few. In verse 16, back in uh, chapter 17 of Deuteronomy, it says, But notice, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Uh, turn with me to First Kings. Chapter 10, verses 26. We're going to read the verses 26 through 29. Because again, these verses, remember, are spoken as Moses is getting ready to take this new generation across the Jordan River into the promised land. And yet, for at least, at least 450 years, maybe even 500 years or more, what we're reading right now will come to pass. So God is already telling them in advance, but you, he shall not multiply this person, this king that you're going to put over you. He shall not multiply horses for himself. Let's look at the verse. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26. Notice, and Solomon, he gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. And just incidentally, when we were over in Israel, we got to visit one of those chariot cities. Megiddo, I believe, is one of the chariot cities. And we were up there and saw where the stables were. I mean, they, they have uncovered some of this stuff. And you can see where some of these chariot cities were. And Megiddo, I believe, was one of them, if my memory serves me correctly. And in verse 27, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, so it was very plentiful. He made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. Also Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kiva. The, sings, the king's merchants bought them 
in Kiva at the current price. And now a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the, the kings of Syria. And so you can see Solomon already. You know, Solomon is one of those enigmas in the scripture because he started so well. You know, his father David had literally given him everything. And, and if time permits, and I, I doubt that it will, um, he'd amassed all this gold, silver, everything, the blueprint of the temple. Because remember, up to that point, it was just the tabernacle that they had in the wilderness, that, that the, the Moses and all of them, they had that for hundreds of years and just been repairing that thing, repairing that thing. And finally, you know, David wanted to make, the, make a temple, right? He wanted to have a house for the Lord. The Lord says, no, you can't do it, David, but your son Solomon's going to. So David said in the latter part of his life, well, if I can't build it myself, I'm going to give him everything he needs so that when he becomes king, he can hit the ground running and build this thing. And, he, and, and there's a catalog, I hope we get to it, of the amount of gold, silver, precious stones, bronze, silver, everything you could imagine. He did it all for him. He gave it all to him even out of his own treasuries, in addition to the free will offerings of the people. They had so much gold and silver and uh, timber and everything to put this thing together. But notice, Solomon, again, this enigma, he had all this, and yet as he went on in his life, he started very well, and then as he slowly went on and God continued to bless him and bless him and made him the most wisest man in the world, and God even speaking to him in a dream, you know, uh, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon had the heart to say, you know what, Lord, I don't want anything. I just need to know how to judge these people, this great people of yours. And God told him, well, not only have I given you that, but I've given you everything else you didn't ask for because everybody else would have asked for the money, but you asked for the thing that was right. And so therefore, I'm going to give you all the other stuff too. And he allows him to have all these things. But notice, as time goes on, Solomon's heart is starting to drift, starting to drift, starting to drift. So now when the scripture is very clear about amassing horses. Because whenever they would go out to battle, God was going to go before them. They're not going to win battles based on their military might. So if they would not have the, uh, anything in them to say that we have done this thing, because then God could not get the glory. But God would go before them. In many instances, God would do these supernatural things and confuse the enemy, and it was just a mop-up operation, really. And so wouldn't you, want, would, wouldn't you rather have God fighting for you? I mean, really, for the unfaithful man who has no faith at all, it'd be scary. You, you probably wouldn't do that. But think of the faith and think of the joy of when you believe in your God, what he says he's going to do, and then he comes through and does it. Boy, are you going to be on cloud nine. You're going to be dancing on the housetops, boasting of your God. And see, that's the way God wants us to be, to be boasting about him, not upon our military might. Israel's going to see that in the future, Yet future to us even now, there's coming a battle. We call it the Magog invasion. When all those nations surrounding, the Islamic nations surrounding Israel, they're going to come against Israel, and it's going to look really bleak, and God is going to intervene, and they are going to know that God had done it. He's going to do it in such a way where he's going to receive the glory for it. But again, let's go back here. So in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 17, it says, Neither shall he multiply wives, for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold, notice, for himself. Underline, for himself, because that's important. So this whole idea of wives, you know, it's very important for all of mankind to listen to, listen to this, especially men, 
Because there are two things that seem to be the Achilles heel for most men. And it, it, it goes across cultures. It goes across, uh, it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what nation. Women and money. For most men, those are the things that trip them up more than anything, is women and money. Not necessarily in that order. But when they're combined, almost most men will go down in a heartbeat. If those two things are in their lives, and because we're so easily seduced by those things. In Proverbs chapter 7, who wrote the book of Proverbs? Solomon. And it says he wrote it to his son. Could it be Rehoboam he was writing these to, or maybe another son? Could be. Let me read something to you. Just write this down, I'll read it. Proverbs 7. It says, For at the window of my house, Solomon is writing, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and through and saw among the simple. I perceived among the ewes a young man devoid of understanding. Passing along the street near her corner, he, and he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious, and her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. And with an impudent face she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen, and I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us make, have our fill of love until morning, and let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone out on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. So with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Notice verse 22. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know how it would cost his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Notice Solomon is telling this. Listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Notice that. Strong men may be in stature, strong in position, but the bigger they are, usually the harder they fall. And isn't it true? Sometimes the most important men in the world are so easily seduced. You look at this gentleman, Bezos. You know, I think he's from the, the, the Amazon CEO or whatever, or founder or whatever, and it just came out not too long ago that he's got a mistress on the side and his wife's divorcing him. This powerful man. It wasn't enough. And it's true. If your heart's not right and you have everything you could possibly want, the natural man thinks, well, I want more and I can get away with it because I got the money. And what does it do? It only yields heartache and destruction. You know, I'm so glad that I don't have that problem. <laughs> I'm so glad. But Solomon needed to heed that warning from his own mouth. Now, obviously, Solomon wasn't the man who was going after the harlots, but he had several wives, several concubines. And still, the lust of his flesh as he got older was creating more of a problem for Solomon, and it was taking him away from the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11, and we're just going to look at the first 13 verses. It says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Notice, foreign women. 
women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. And surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And so Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Now, it's kind of interesting because when we think of David, we know know his history. We think of his uh, fornication, his adultery with Bathsheba, and then the murder of Uriah. And yet, God is saying, but not so. I mean, you know, your heart wasn't uh, as bad. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart away after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Because even though David messed up, David repented quick and he was never the same, but he was always loyal to the Lord. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abominations of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as his father David did. And then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appointed him, who had appeared to him twice. And it commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, The Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days. Notice the grace of God. If anybody tells you that there's no grace in the Old Testament, they have not read the New Testament, or the Old Testament. They haven't read it carefully enough. Because this is one of those things, right off on the side of your margin, grace. (laughs) There's a lot of places where God is very gracious, Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of your hand. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of your, the hand of your son. Whoever, However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son, that's Rehoboam, and I will um, give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And we know that the other 11 tribes or the other 10 tribes go to Jeroboam who was just a general of, of the king at that time. You know, when you think about it, at the, at the very least, Solomon was guilty of, of spiritual adultery, wasn't he? You know, he may have been married to these women, and, and he, he went against the Lord, because we're going to look at that in a minute. There's a, a handful of scriptures, and we don't have time to get to them all, but God told them to stay away from the foreign wives. Let me just give them to you, just for the sake of time. I'm just going to read. I'm just going to give you two of them because they'll substantiate what we're looking at here. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 11 through 16, you can look also at Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and Joshua chapter 23, verses 11 through 13, and one of the most interesting ones is Ezra. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. This is post-Babylon. This is when they came back into the land after their Babylonian captivity. They still had this issue. It's like they hadn't learned the lesson. Even after their Babylonian exile, they come back into the land, and they're still marrying foreign wives. (laughs) And you can read that whole uh, Ezra chapter 9. It's a fantastic chapter. 
But God told them during those, those verses that I just gave you to stay away from intermarrying these. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.